Throughout the last 20 plus years, Jim Ryan has seen his company Flexera change and grow in exciting ways, and he's been able to grow with the company along the way. Today, Jim is the CEO of Flexera, and he joins IT Visionaries to discuss his journey with the company. And he dives into how members of the C-suite can find ways to be more efficient, cost-effective, and build out long-lasting companies. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at mission.org. And we have in the frozen tundra, uh, Jim Ryan, what's going on? How you doing? Thanks for having me in. Really excited to have you on today. Uh, it's uh, This might date the episode a little bit, but it's the opening day of the NFL season, and it's the opening day for uh, for CIOs really every day because uh, we're shifting into a new world, and, and Flexera is at the, at the front of that. Um, before we get into all the amazing stuff that you're doing, I want to know first, how did you get into technology in the first place? Like all great master plans, I fell into the technology industry by dumb luck. I was, um, I studied at Marquette University. I was actually a political science and French guy. And I thought at the time that I was going to go on to law school and be a lawyer, which thank God never happened. But um, in between my sophomore and my junior year, my parents called me up and informed me that they had run out of money. And that I wasn't able to go back to school, which sent me into a little bit of a panic. And uh, I knew a guy who knew a guy who uh, worked at IBM. And I ended up getting a job at, at IBM my junior year of college. It put me through my last two years at university. And I just basically never left. I started out as a sales, uh, sales rep back in 1989 there. And um, the rest is history, as they say. And so when you first learned about Flexera, what was that, what was that like? You know, you've been there, you know, over 20 years and, you know, those early days must have been a lot different than today, obviously. Yeah, dramatically different. And I mean, it it was so different back in the early days, back in 98. I mean, we weren't even called Flexera. I mean, Flexera was effectively born in 2008. Uh, We were a carve out from a larger publicly traded company to a private equity firm. And I think as we talk and, and give you a little bit of history of Flexera, that's, that's one of the things that makes it unique. A lot of people ask me, hey, how in the world could you stay at the same place for 21 years nowadays? But what you've got to understand is I've had a lot of different logos on my business cards because we've been called different things. We've been very acquisitive, acquiring well over you know, a dozen or two dozen companies. And um, although the name is Flexera and I've been here for 21 years, we seem to shed our skin every five years. And it's, it's always a different challenge and always a different value prop. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's kind of similar to kind of your roles in Flexera changing. Um, you know, obviously you are now the CEO, you've been COO, you've been SVP of sales. And, and for, you know, the conversation today, you've really had a ton of insights and conversations with CIOs and technology leaders about IT and about how it's changing. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious, like, you know, from when you started, like, how have you seen IT evolve and the role of the CIO evolve? 
I think it's it, it's really changed dramatically just even over the last five years. I mean, if you if you go back in time five or ten years ago, the CIO and the IT department had a tremendous amount of power in in an organization. If you wanted to have an application installed on your PC, you had to call the IT department and they would send somebody down at a time of their own choosing. Uh, They would install it. uh, They would determine what you could or couldn't do on that PC and uh, and or laptop. And um, it was a very tightly controlled environment. And really, we've had a sea change now in the way things that are done. We've, we've now have an environment uh, where I have people within Flexera that can go and spin up more compute power than uh, NASA had even a decade ago just by laying a credit card down in, in Amazon. And there's no gatekeeper in many of the, the companies that I work with. The CIO, he or she can't control all of that. And uh, the the job has really changed from a command and control to trying to be a partner and an enabler of, uh, of the things that the business needs to do to continue to grow. With the obvious concern is you need to have some amount of visibility and control because if you just let people run, of course, bad things can and often do happen because not everybody understands the ramifications of some decisions they make when they, they go and sign up for these contracts or uh, spin up certain resources within a web or a cloud environment. Yeah, I mean, we hear that a lot in when we do our CIO roundtables when they're you know talking talking around the table about the different bets that they're making, um, and and kind of you, you know the the downside is the trouble that you can get in yep. uh, when you have you know cloud bills rising all the time or, or different sort of things. I'm curious, like when when you're talking to CIOs, what are some of those like insecurities? What are some of those things that they're worried about or nervous about? Well, I I was talking to the CIO of a large insurance company uh, just a few months ago. And as all CIOs are undergoing, they're, they're having to contend with cloud. I mean, you can't have any conversation in today's IT space without the topic of cloud coming up. And he said, Jim, you know, my biggest fear with cloud is that I know it's a tsunami that's uh, about ready to hit me. I don't feel like I'm prepared. And my nightmare scenario is being that guy that, uh, you know, allows some, some malicious bug or hack to come in in the environment and I take down my whole business, get splattered up on the front page of the Wall Street Journal and get fired. I, I think that's, that's a the front of, of many CIOs and many C-level execs' minds nowadays and that this is moving so fast and there's so much opportunity and, and, and positive things affiliated with all of these, these great technologies at our disposal. But like anything, there's a, there's a downside to it and um, you know, nobody wants to be column fodder on a paper for you know, taking down a business, multi-billion dollar business at that in this instance. And yeah, what are the types of CIOs that generally you work with and talk to on on a daily, weekly basis? Yeah, I think, you know, it's hard to generalize. We have thousands of customers at Flexera and uh, I don't know 
that there is any one type of uh, prototypical CIO that we we deal with or a CFO for that matter. But I can tell you that the the CIOs and CFOs that uh, we do best with is we, we, we've actually given them a name. Uh, we've given them a persona and it's Thomas, right? So Thomas, Thomas is a, is a trailblazer himself or herself. Thomas is a risk taker. Thomas is uh, not content with the status quo. Thomas wants, uh, you know, is a mover and a shaker and wants to make a big impact, not only for the company that he or she's working with, but, uh, you know, Thomas wants to go and do great things to expand their career. And the, the CIOs and CFOs that, that tend to do the very best with our company and the capabilities that our solutions provide are the ones that exhibit those attributes. I don't want to put a label on them and say that they're risk takers because I, I think that they're very pragmatic in their approach, uh, but they're very centered and focused on business outcomes and instead of feeds and speeds and things like that. They're really looking at their job as being an enabler to help their business grow and flourish. And they tend to think that if they help their business grow and flourish, their careers will glow and flourish as well. Yeah, and I love that idea of uh, you know of putting a name to uh, to the person. Do you find that you know in these conversations, you know, as as you talk to your customers and and to prospects about you know the different challenges that that they're having, you know, we hear a lot about digital transformation, and this is obviously like a long journey, a process that is multi year. Do you get some of the sense of Hey, I need to do five years of work in two years because it seems like that's what a lot of the you know CIOs that we talk to that they're trying to boil the ocean because that's what you know their CEO wants or their you know CFO wants or their leadership wants, but they just don't really see how to get there in that amount of time. Sure, I I, I speak with C levels that that absolutely feel like that. Um, you know, it's, it's funny that you you mentioned digital transformation. I, I I get pummeled with emails myself being a CEO. People always trying to latch on to any potential digital transformation initiative we might have going on, and we did we did an interesting thing in our marketing department. We did some some analysis on what are people searching and um, the compare that we did was digital transformation and how many people are searching on digital transformation just trying to get uh, trends from Google and uh, it's pretty interesting because a lot of people have digital transformation on their mind and I think that digital transformation has a lot of the things that you just talked about it's like this feeling that the businesses wants and needs are insatiable that they just can't transform digitally fast enough but there's there's a phrase that trumps digital transformation by three to five fold and I can send you this line chart uh, after this in and the word is obsolescence People are afraid that they are becoming obsolete themselves or the technology that they're running are going to become obsolete or that the very company that they work for are going to become obsolete. Uh, we, we use a phrase here internally at Flexera, you know, let's make sure we get Ubered before we get Kodak'd. Um, you know, things are moving super fast and, uh, where at one point in time it took two, three, four, five decades for companies to become irrelevant. Uh, you know, the, the number of tombstones with companies that are no longer in business or no longer even close to being relevant just grows larger and larger by the day. And oftentimes the CIOs are dead smack in the middle of that and being asked to help make sure that the companies themselves 
themselves don't become obsolete or the CIOs uh, themselves become the, the ones that are facing obsolescence. I, I empathize with them, you know, but I, but I think it's, uh, you know, I think it's something that any C-level executive is going to have to contend with, right? I, I, I don't want to become obsolete any more than the next CEO. And I think, um, you know, we could look in, I've got two children at home. You've got, uh, you've got kids that are feeling the pressure because of the, the need to keep up on social media. Things are moving at lightning pace. And I think, you know, not to get too philosophical here, but society in general is facing some of this. Um, and, and it's really hard in a business environment because, you know, we're not, I don't, as a rule of thumb, employ my relatives, you know, people lose their jobs if they can't keep pace. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think as Andy Gross said, only the paranoid survive. Yeah, um, amen. Yeah, I, I think a huge part of this, and when we talk, when we have our you know CIO roundtables, we talk a lot about vendors. We talk, um, especially behind the scenes, off camera um, or off mic. And you know, I, I think that there's a sense that people are really worried about their legacy systems for sure, but they're also worried about the bets they're not taking, and they're that's worried right. about the explosion of technology that's happening and how to control the money coming in, like, you know, the size of budgets of IT now is really shifting. I mean, you have certain companies that like let just business units swipe their credit card for certain things. Like it, it might not even necessarily go to IT, um, but you're still responsible for technology spend, right? I want to talk a little bit about, you know, technology spend optimization. Obviously, this is one of the core things that you do at Flexera, you know, and you you work with 48% of the Fortune 500. So you're looking at a ton of large companies. um, And I'm just curious, like, what are some of the insights that you've seen from technology spend? What are some of the things that people are like maybe doing wrong or or not, um, not looking at sharply enough? Yeah. Um, before I focus on what, what people might be doing wrong, let, let, let me just give you a, a, a description on, on why this is so hard. Uh, you know, most CIOs that we deal with or when we talk to CFO, 60% of their budget is going to go towards hardware, software, and cloud compute with the, the remaining 40% going to telco or telecom and, and people. So 60% is, is hardware, software, and cloud. And, and even hardware nowadays isn't necessarily a physical thing that you can touch and feel uh, because you can go and spin up something in Alibaba or Google or Microsoft in a cloud environment. So really, I, I would contend that much of the 60% in hardware, software, and cloud and SaaS is uh, is virtual. And, and I always say that, that the challenge that you have to keep in mind is that um, software is a lot like electricity. I, I, I'm in a room right now at Flexera's global headquarters. Uh, right now, this room is being lit up uh, with a fluorescent light above me. I've got a microphone that's drawing power somewhere. It's firing up a laptop that I'm looking at it. You know, electricity powers everything we do in society, both professionally and personally. It runs and powers everything. And yet, I really can't touch and feel and see the electricity that's all around me. It's very difficult for me to understand how much that light above my head is drawing and costing me versus the mic versus the PC. And, and software is very similar to that. Yes, you, you know, back in the day, you used to have a DVD or a CD that you could pop into a drive. But, you know, today, it's an intangible virtual asset. And it's very difficult to touch and feel. And unlike my house or this office building where I have a utility meter that sits outside and counts exactly what I'm using on a minute by minute or daily basis, you know, 
most or many companies we deal with don't have a single or multiple software meters or utility meters running to keep track of their software. And that's really what Flexera does. So what, um, what we see, people that don't do business with us and our big value proposition is, you know, you can't protect, measure, manage, and save those things that you don't know exist. And we help people go and shine a big old light on, on all of their technology estate, meter that usage, and then, you know, run some algorithms to make sure that what they're entitled to use in their contracts is, is actually being user than not overpaying. Sounds simplistic, but uh, it's, a, it's a pretty tall order for many multinational companies that have tens of thousands of employees all around the globe and are buying and selling companies all the time. And I would imagine that that goes a long way to, you know, the CFO and the CEO conversations. I mean, one of the things that a lot of the CIOs that we talk to are worried about as well is those conversations with the board, you know, those right. conversations with the leadership team about like, where the heck is our money going? And by the way, you need to make sure that you're spending money wisely on new technologies. You know, like we're paying you to find new technologies and leverage them internally. Um, yeah, it does seem like it's an easy thing uh, to be able to audit that stuff. But uh, clearly, clearly there's a lot that goes well, into you, it. You would think so. But, but, but you know, now it, it's easy when we, when we draw the compare to my house here. Uh, but not, now think of a global bank. And instead of just Commonwealth Edison piping in electricity, most uh, large multinational companies would have anywhere from two to 5,000 software suppliers. So now you've got two to 5,000 suppliers of software some in Europe, some in Asia, some in North America, all with a different meter, all with a different uh, set of entitlements that they ascribe to you and you sign the contract, all in a different way of deploying the technology, whether it's on the desktop, in a data center, in a Kubernetes container. And the problem just becomes exponentially more and more complicated. And ironically, the more cloud computing and easier access that we give employees to, to all of this actually makes the job of the CIO, the CFO, and the CEO even harder to make sure that we're not overspending. You know, you've talked a lot about CFOs. We actually haven't talked a ton on this podcast about the role of the CFO as mm -hmm. it relates to, to IT. We talk a lot about the interplay between the CIO and the chief marketing officer. We talk a lot about, you know, who owns technology, CIO versus CTO, you know, where do those things uh, about security and how the CISO pr plays a role in that. How do you think the conversations, like what have you seen as like best practices of CIOs that are able to partner with the CFO and really make sure that they understand the business use cases and the priorities of the CFO? To me, they're, they're almost one and the same. And I say that somewhat facetiously. I mean, I mean I, I'm well aware of the difference between a CIO and a CFO. I have one myself that each report into me. But I, I, I think as we talked earlier about the changing role and nature of a CIO and the challenges he or she faces, I think a CIO has to become a mini CFO anyway. They're controlling such a, a large portion of any company's budget because, again, just like electricity is powering everything, software is powering every single company around the globe, regardless of what industry you're in. So when I, when I use the CIO-CFO interchangeably, 
I, I think regardless of what title you're carrying, but if we anchor in on the CIO, you have to be able to speak finance. You, you have to be able to lock down budgets. You have to be able to project out into the future and understand the idiosyncrasies of capitalized software versus OPEX and uh, you know how you're going to fund things. Because at the end of the day, to your earlier point, you've got to spend money to maintain and duct tape your legacy systems together but also keep pace, fund and pay and budget for some of this leading edge stuff in the cloud and SaaS uh, to make sure that your business is maintaining its competitive posture. So I think CIOs have to become more CFO-like and more CEO-like for that matter because they're running their own business more or less at the right scale and size. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to the business owner piece, right? Which is, you know, IT has for a long time been seen as a cost center. Yeah. And you see that shifting now. You see the CIO taking a larger ownership of the customer experience, of how those things happen. That's right. So, you know, things that are a cost center, generally speaking, definitely the CFO's uh, priority. I'm curious, like, how do you how do you shift that mindset? How do you position IT you know, as a force multiplier, both from the employee experience standpoint and from the customer experience standpoint? I think, again, we talked earlier on in the old days, it was a command and control. And I think they were absolutely a cost center. Nowadays, um, again, whether you're running an insurance company, uh, manufacturing cars, or even light bulbs, you're, you're probably developing mobile applications that you're giving your customers that are helping you pump up revenue. And, uh, you know, who cares about the cost of running those things? That's actually helping you crank up and generate revenue. And I, and I think the mindset has to become, you know, if I make the make that investment, I, I, I get the R in the ROI, but let's really focus in on the R on an ROI model. What, what is the return we're going to get? How can I help my sales and marketing team actually generate more bookings and revenue as everybody continues to make software and technology a more important and critical part of what they're doing? It's incumbent upon the CIO to provide a lot of those systems 24 by 7 with zero downtime. So Flexera was recently named uh, Gardner Magic Quadrant for cloud management platforms. I'm sure this had to be obviously, you know, feel great internally. But I'm curious, like, I want to talk, you know, cloud management a little bit more and dive, dive deeper into this. What are some of the things that you're seeing from a cloud management standpoint that are really emblematic of the future, like where we're going for this? Because it, as we mentioned kind of at the top, it seems like this is either the top priority or one of the top priorities for pretty much every CIO. Yep. So thanks for thanks for the shout out on the Gartner Magic Quadrant. We appreciate that. That was that was a great accomplishment for the team here at Flexera. We um, first of all, Gartner. I'll, I'll, I'll quote back another Gartner. So Gartner says that by the end of 2025, only 30 percent of today's app legacy application workload will be moved over to the cloud. Now they say they go on to say that a further 20 percent will be run by a managed service partner. So let, let, let's just even you know, put the 30 and the 20 together. What Gartner's saying is that by the end of 2025, only 50% of the legacy applications being run by enterprise class customers are going to be moved over to the cloud. So I think the, the first thing that I always like to acknowledge is cloud is probably the number one topic that, that our customers and other C-level executives that I speak to regularly want to engage with me on or engage with our, our organization on. 
But let's, let's also acknowledge what the economic and practical reality of most very large companies are today. You know, we're not talking about two people in a garage that are a startup that are going all in on Amazon. But when you go and look at major businesses, the Fortune 50 or even the Fortune 1000, they have such a long tail of legacy applications that represent both cost and opportunity for them that it's easy to get caught up in, in thinking that a CIO uh, only has to focus in on cloud. That being said, that is by far the number one topic that people want to talk about because they're, they're being sucked in and pulled into the cloud if they're not running into the cloud proactively. And uh, people are, are trying to figure out how they avail all this technology to the business without it becoming the wild west and boomeranging back and uh, doing some type of damage to them. We think it's, does I, mean, I, I don't know if I can get away with saying it's, it's both hype and uh, a big time reality at the same time. I just like to temper things and, and, and state that uh, while it's huge and, and, and while we should be talking about it, there's not a CIO around that can afford to, to go and just ignore the legacy systems because those things need care and feeding and are integral to keeping the business going on anyway. What we typically find is, is we find ourselves in an evangelical position or an educational position today. A lot of the, the C-levels that we're talking with don't really understand what questions they should be asking some of their suppliers like an Oracle, an IBM, an SAP. Uh, what issues other customers that have already made the transition to the cloud or started their own transition into the cloud, what have they learned? So we find ourselves, before we even start talking about you know, our, our, our solutions and the products that we sell, we, we find ourselves just having to take a step back and just having an overarching business conversation about things that we've learned and, and hopefully identifying potholes and, and trip-ups that uh, some of our other customers have regrettably had to go through. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, do you think, you know, we talk about change management a lot. Do you think that there's a, a, a huge change management aspect of this? Like, you know, I, I would imagine that when the, uh, when the CIO goes to the leadership team and says, hey, we just spent all this money three years ago on this technology and now we need to replace it, that's not always the easiest conversation. Yeah, it's uh, it's change management, which which requires you know terrific communication skills, uh, which is perhaps something that wasn't required ten years ago. I, I mean, good communication skills are always key, but you have to be an exceptional communicator. You have to be able to set very clear expectations. I was dealing with a um, a large bank, you know, for obvious reasons I can't name, but you know, in in working with us, we worked with them for thirty days, and within thirty days, we identified. $10 million of spend that was going through their books on employees' credit cards for uh, one of the major cloud providers. You know, you talk about transformation and change management, you know, very, very quickly, the, the conversation pivoted to, let's talk about the changes we need to make in putting some governance and some structure and controls and enforcement in place. Because I think we can all agree that a $10 million unknown expenditure isn't really sustainable in the future. This is big credit cards. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, spread up. You know, it's it's what it's it's the law of big numbers. You 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 give out enough. You know, if, if you have enough employees, and in this case, you've got hundreds of thousands of employees. If each of that that employee has uh, even a five or a ten thousand dollar credit limit, and they're yep. just doing a little sliver every month because you buy it every month instead of all up front, 
you know, before you know it, a penny here, a penny here, a quarter there, a dime there. And all of a sudden you're talking millions of dollars. This is the big aha moment when I talk to other C-levels on, first of all, let's establish that it's hard. It's not that people are drunk and disorderly or don't want to do a good job here. It's just really hard. It's a fast moving environment. And we have established that it's like electricity, you know, and that's not necessarily easy to track. Uh, but once you anchor in on that, what, what people really don't understand is just how much money is being spent in all of these areas. And I think as it relates to cloud and the low barriers to going and procuring some of these resources, it's when we talk about change management as you've got to keep up with the changes necessary to govern this thing. You know, I think every, every CIO is absolutely all in pot committed on enabling the business. But if enabling the business means that there's there's tens of millions of dollars being spent that's not going through a separate system, you know, I'm pretty sure they probably weren't negotiating the best best rates on the 10 million. Even if they needed all of the compute power that they were buying, you want to put that through a central system being managed and governed by a chief procurement officer, a CFO, and a CIO to make sure that you're you're not paying list price. Yeah. I, and we had bring your own device and the change in IoT, and now you have bring your own service, right? Like just, there's so many tools that people use that it's like, well, I'd actually prefer to use this. Like, actually, I just want to use Uber Conference or, you know, I just want to use this. And that stuff, yeah, like you said, it adds up. No, it, it adds up in a, you're, you're bang on here. It's, um, it's a lot to sift through. And the reality is, is that all of those people that are swiping that credit card, there is no incentive, none, for any of the suppliers of said service to let you know that you're not using it. Good point. Or that you're not optimizing using it. So a big use case that we run into all the time with, with cloud computing and everything, we go in, we, we shine an insight, we run a discovery uh, set of programs on to find out what's being used. A lot of time, the low-hanging fruit in an engagement for us is identifying resources that are being paid for on a monthly basis that haven't been used in over six months or more. Yep. And, and again, it's not that people are deliberately being reckless. Uh, sometimes a contractor might be brought in for a, a temporary assignment. He or she spins something up or maybe even IT spins it up on their behalf. Contractor then leaves, the assignment's done. There's not a business process in place to not only take access uh, away from the contractor, but make sure that you shut down all of the services that the contractor was paying for. Sounds simplistic, but again, if a company's got 5,000 contractors all coming and going on a regular basis with a variety of different cloud environments and SaaS offerings, it becomes unruly unless you have a, uh, you know, an automated capability to track and monitor it. I want to switch gears a little bit here into... Just some of the, you know, Flexera going forward. It was funny. We we got a chance to interview um, Laura, your your SVP of marketing, who was awesome. And she she wrote a post about, you know, kind of this idea that Flexera is this technology unicorn that people don't necessarily know about, right? right. You know, you're yeah. not yeah. You're, you're not in TechCrunch every day. Uh, you know, you're just kind of chugging along with with forty eight percent of the fortune 500, um, which is, uh, would probably get all the headlines, uh, if you called yourself a unicorn, I'm just curious, you know, like obviously there's been rebranding, there's been all sorts of stuff, but, um, you know, but going forward, I'm just, you know, and you've also had a lot of acquisitions and, and, and I'm curious, like what's next, what is, um, what are you looking at? 
We've got big plans. And I mean, you know, I, I really, I really don't like hearing that we're the best kept secret in the industry. Uh, you know, that's, that's kind of a backhanded compliment, but we hear it all the time. So, so we are working and, and Laura, my marketing leader is, uh, you know, certainly at the tip of the spear on that to make sure that we're very loud on, on what we've got going on here. Uh, I think that goes back to our roots. Uh, you know, we're a, we're a Midwestern hard work and get up with the cows type of company here and beating our chest while necessary isn't something that I don't think comes naturally to us or it's not something that we think of first. Sure. But, uh, you know, what's next? We're going to stick with our knitting, so to speak. We think that we are the industry best at uh, providing unprecedented insight to CIOs as to what they've got in their technology estate and then helping those CIOs take action on the insight. And that action could result in saving money. It could result in identifying security vulnerabilities. It could result in just making better business decisions. The goal, to be clear, is not just to get bigger per se. We're, a, uh, we're privately held. We're private equity back. If, if the goal was just to become a billion-dollar company, you know, there's a handful of companies that we could probably go out and buy within the next four months and be a billion dollars. That That's not the, the end game for us, right? Just just getting bigger and becoming a billion dollar bucket of parts and that throws off cash isn't something that, that I'm in it for. And it's certainly not what the 1300 proud flex errands are in it for either. So we, we think that we've got, um, you know, we, we, we have our areas of focus. It's on providing the best spend optimization capabilities, and then the layers of automation to go and turn those insights into action. We'll continue to grow organically. So we'll uh, continue to hire and take on new customers and grow our employee base from 1,300 to something bigger. I'm sure that that 400 million will be something more next year. Uh, but we also enjoy a, a really strong financial profile backed by some industry-leading private equity firms. And, you know, we are highly acquisitive. So when we see companies that fit our profile, whether it's a financial profile, a market, or a technical profile, we're pretty quick to strike. So it's an area of the business that, that remains uh, really key to us, M&A, and we grow inorganically. It's just hard to project and predict. So I can put together a budget for next year that says we're going to grow double digits and I will, we will. How many companies we buy next year? I don't know. It's, it's really uh, difficult to, to predict. We've bought, we bought three companies last year, recently bought a company uh, a quarter and a half ago. Are we going to do one before the end of the year? It's tough to say. We've, we've always, seems like we're always talking to two or three companies, but you know, not all of those result in, a, in an acquisition. I think our future is bright to use an overused cliche here, but um, you know, I think it's all going to center on, on building on our current capabilities and helping CIOs around the world get better insight and take better action and, and hopefully help them uh, contribute to their business and uh, you know, hopefully avoid becoming obsolete. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious, how do you look for technologies? It seems like you have a really sharp eye for that. We have a team of people, just like I have a sales team that's that's working a list and develops a pipeline of prospects that they ultimately sell to. I have a dedicated team of people that uh, do nothing but look at other companies to buy. And uh, we profile them by company size, the type of technology that they have, where their corporate headquarters are located, because it's obviously harder to integrate a company in Tel Aviv, Israel, than it would be in Chicago in our backyard. So we look at it from a variety of different angles. And uh, 
you know, make our decisions accordingly. It seems like, you know, being a Flexeran is, uh, is pretty great uh, to use your term. Um, I know it's one of the things you're really focused on is to, you know, build a top workplace company and a culture that people love to be there. I, I want to talk a little bit, and you definitely have uh, have open rec, so if anyone wants to check that out, just go to flexair.com and, and click on the cruise tab. Um, but I'm curious, like, what's employee experience like there? Um, what does it mean to 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 work at the company? And what What's the internal tech stack that you got going on? You know, we are, uh, so we're a hard driving company. We, we think we're, we're moving fast and keeping pace with the industry. Uh, everything we do centers around six things. So, so I'm, every time I talk to a new employee group that comes in, because we're always hiring, uh, they, they ask me, Jim, what does it take to be successful at Flexera? And, and it's really clear. In the 21 years I've been here, uh, the, the, the people that are wildly successful at Flexera exhibit these six things. Number one, candor. We're a no BS environment. We're candid with one another. We're candid with our customers. And oh, by the way, we lifted that right from Jack Welch and GE. It's a, it's a tried and tested thing. And uh, we try to preserve that. And quite frankly, as we get bigger, it becomes harder and harder to preserve that. But we think that we've done a really good job there. Our employees really value the fact that we tell them exactly the way it is. Two, we look for people that are passionate. You know, the only way I can survive anywhere for 21 years, and we have a lot of people that have been here for a decade or two decades, is you got to love what you do. So, you know, I get out of bed excited to do what I do. And I think we've got a lot of employees here that love the area of cloud management and helping companies save money. It's, uh, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but the employees at Flexera really, really are into that thing. Uh, we keep score. So, we are a very accountable company and that, that does freak some people out that come and join our company when we rank people and we tell them how they're performing against a quota publicly or we talk about people and then their deadlines and their goals and objectives. We, uh, we do like to keep score and uh, we think that that's a key ingredient. We think that we're professional. We try to invest as much as we can on employee training just to enhance everybody's skills. And then last but not least, when we have successes and we've been fortunate enough to have them, we celebrate those successes as much as we can. And you know, we're also good good corporate citizens and good citizens of the world. We like to give back. I, I, you know, I think, hey, for all of your listeners out there, I think we can all agree if you're in IT or you're a white collar worker with a C in front of your title or if, you know, if you're even working for a CIO, chances are you're probably in the top 5% of all global earners in the world. And that puts us in rarefied air. So we, we look for decent human beings that, uh, you know, occasionally give back either in time or money. So what would you say to, you know, a CIO or someone that's thinking of working with Flexera? Like, what is it like to be a customer? You know, I think I'd go back what it's like to be a customer is, hey, we're candid with you. We're passionate about helping you save money. We'll always be professional. We'll keep score. Uh, we will, if we say that we're going to do something over a certain amount of time and we jointly describe a plan that's going to hopefully identify taking 10% of your software cost out of your environment, we're going to do the same types of things that you just heard me riff on with my employees with our customers as well. I always tell this to, to people before they sign on the dotted line is we are going to have problems in our relationship. 
I don't know what they are or when they're going to appear, but what you have from me and my team is, is our commitment to be very professional and candid with those things. And we're going to work through them uh, in the very best and fastest way that we possibly can. And I do think that that's a differentiating factor with Flexera. I, I don't think, I don't think every software or technology provider is out there being as forthright and candid as Flexera is. The finish line for many two companies, regrettably, because it gives everybody a black eye, is you know getting the purchase order and cashing the check. And for us, that's uh, that's an important part of the relationship, to be sure. But it's certainly not the end of the relationship, and it's just really the start line for us. That that's when we have to have to start earning our money and delivering results. So we're um, you know we're, we're we're straight shooters here. All right, let's get into the lightning round. These right. questions are fast and uh-huh. easy. Cool. Just like the lightning platform from Salesforce, you can go to salesforce.com slash employee experience to learn more about employee experience on the world's number one CRM that is Salesforce. We love Salesforce platform. Check them out, everyone. Lightning round questions. Jim, are you ready? I am ready. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? My Tesla car app. Ooh, that's a good one. What is your favorite vacation spot? Kiowa Island, South Carolina. You do you play Kiowa? I, I do. I uh, one of my one of my good friends was uh, their friend worked Kiowa, and I could have walked on for like fifty five bucks, and I had a work meeting, and I was like, oh my goodness, uh, could have got to be done. It's a fantastic course. Unfortunately, there's a hurricane right off of the beach right now, but uh, yeah, fantastic spot. What is your favorite thing to cook or eat? Lou Malnati's deep dish sausage pizza. Oh, yeah. What about, uh, what do you do for fun? I golf in the summer. I ski in the winter and spend as much time in Kia with my family as possible. What are you most excited about for the future of technology? I think it's... Um, it's just such the great unknown. Uh, I mentioned my Tesla app. My Tesla car, you know, effectively drives most of the way into the office. When I go to bed at night, I tell Alexa to turn off my lights. And when I get up, I have a control for automation system that turns on my lights and waters my grass. And that's all been done with people that aren't even digital natives and haven't grown up with a phone or an iPad. And I think it's going to be absolutely incredibly fascinating to see what the next gen of society and professionals, you know, come up with because uh, I find it scintillating right now. And I think it's only going to get incredibly more uh, interesting. Best advice for a first time CEO. Oh, you can't make everybody happy. Um, (laughs) Just get, get your head around that. And uh, I think this is an overused cliche. Just be yourself and be authentic. Don't try to be somebody else's CEO. Isn't going to work. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? Why did you decide to study French? Why did you? Um, I grew up as a, um, as a, I, I grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, first of all, which is a tiny little town with a professional sports franchise. But um, <laughs> I, I, I grew up loving James Bond films. And uh, I became obsessed with trying to get to every country and city that James Bond uh, went to in his movies. And one of the languages that I heard repeatedly in Bond movies was French. So I decided that in order for me to become more James Bond-like, not that I wanted to be a spy, that uh, learning French would be a, a good thing to do. And that's why I did it. 
I love it. Jim, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. Any final thoughts? Anything else to plug? No, love your uh, love what you guys do. And thanks for having myself on and, and Laura. Uh, if you ever do find your way to Kiowa, just uh, you know, keep my contacts on file and let me know. I'd love to have you out there. It's, it's a beautiful part of the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, would love to. And uh, we'll be following along. And uh, any, anything you need, just let us know. All right. Good luck to the Raiders. Thanks, Ian. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.